As a Pentecostal church, we have derived our identity from the experience of Acts chapter number 2. But I think that we have done a disservice to a certain degree to relate the entirety of that Pentecostal experience to just a speaking in tongues or a gifts of the Spirit moment. And I want to elaborate just a little bit farther. Now, I, I want to be one of the... One of the key doctrines in the Assemblies of God is a belief system in the, what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when I say what we call, we believe that that's what was being referenced when Jesus said that uh, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now when he was about to leave his disciples. And so we believe that there is a subsequent experience to conversion where the Holy Spirit infills the believer and that it is evidenced by the physical, tangible evidence of speaking in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues certainly can be known languages, but it does not necessarily have to be. For Paul referenced it, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Some would call it uh, a static speech or utterance that's perhaps not even known to uh, a people group anywhere, at least in the immediate vicinity. But we also know that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Those are things that we believe in. We hold dear to our personal belief system. The Scripture tells us, not the Scripture, but the fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. The tenth one is the church and its mission, the tenth of the sixteen fundamental truths. And at the end of that tenth, and I've referenced this many times, it is the belief of the assemblies of God that we must give continuing and continual emphasis to the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so that every believer is being encouraged to receive the baptism. I believe that today, and I want to. I want to pass the baton to uh, not only a generation coming, but all, all of our generation. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said the promise is to you, to your children and your children's children, as many as the Lord our God should call. So that belief system is established deep in our hearts, and I never want to take away, I wouldn't want to take away from it. But there's more to being Pentecostal, and there's more to the history of this Pentecost than just the evidence of tongues. And there's something that I want to draw your attention to, and this is where my attention was drawn. I'm in the third chapter of the book, or the second chapter of the book of Colossians. And I didn't give them any scriptures back there because I'm going to flow with just and let this go. And so if they make it on the screen, that's fine. If not, it will kind of teach you you need to bring your Bible to church. Come on, somebody. And so Paul here is writing. And now you have to remember that the church was birthed in the heart of Judaism, the children of Israel, and that Christ was the fulfillment of messianic promises. And uh, as a result, though, that one of the first things that, or not one of the first things, but one of the most controversial things that took place in the early church was the, what was called the inclusion of the Gentiles. And when the realization was made by the apostles that the Gentiles, the Gentiles, they were dogs in the eyes of the Jewish people. They were people that were apart from the covenant promises of Israel. They didn't know God. They were idolaters and pagans. But when the revelation was given that the blood that was shed on Calvary was not just for Jewish blood. Come on, somebody, and for Jewish sins and for Jewish uh, skin tone and color, but it was for all men everywhere that the blood of Jesus was sufficient to wipe away the sin debt of every man and woman born 
of a woman. That includes you and I today. They were startled themselves. You remember that? Acts chapter number 10. Peter's gone to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And he wouldn't even, uh, didn't even necessarily want to go into his house because he was forbidden by either the law or tradition to go into his house. But he had just seen the vision of the sheet when, uh, that God told him. He said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean? What, don't you? And he said, I don't care how steeped you are in Judaism. If I call it clean, you better not call it unclean. And so he decided to go, though it was against every tradition that he had ever been taught. And so he perceives he's got an opportunity to preach, and he's preaching Christ. He's preaching him crucified and the blood, and he's nailed to the tree. And before he can even give a benediction, before he can give an altar call, bring anybody up on the piano, anything at all, the Spirit of God just falls in that house. And Cornelius begins to speak with other tongues, and his brothers and sisters and family and those that he invited. And that was a sign to the Jewish apostles that, man, this thing's bigger than the Jewish community. Come on, the promise is to you, your children, your children's children, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. And so thank God for that today. So with this, though, very quickly, so as Paul, though, the, the apostle, it seems to us, that study the Scriptures uh, intentionally and intently, it seems to us that Paul is the one that had the greatest revelation as it related to the coming of Christ and His redemptive purposes, especially as it included the Gentiles. So he's writing here in the book of Colossians, and he warns them in the seventh verse, he, or he, he exhorts them and then warns them. He said, you are rooted and built up in who? In him, in Jesus. And he said, you become established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, he says, notice this. Beware. Now, I'm going to read pretty quickly to get to a particular place. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. And what's he writing this to? Now, when you and I think about it, we don't think about Judaism spoiling us today. That's not our influence. But that was the influence of, the, of this. Our influence might be New Ageism. Or it might be a distorted version of Christianity. Right? That's what we would have to guard ourselves from. But Paul here is warning the believers at Colossae. He said, beware through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Because Paul said this, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And notice the 10th verse, and you are complete in him. Man, my completion is in Jesus today. Is it yours? And it says, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, why is he saying, what's that mean to you and I? To the Jew, if you were not circumcised, then you were not a part of the Abrahamic covenant. It didn't matter who your daddy was. It, was the, it wasn't who your natural lineage was. It was when you were circumcised in flesh that brought you into that covenant. But now here the writer Paul is saying, but we have been brought into that covenant and we weren't circumcised by a circumcision made with hands. Look at that. He said, but with the, in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ. Christ was cut off. Christ was cut off on our behalf. For us, in our place, in our stead. He said, and so we were therefore buried with him in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Let's go farther. And you, 
We were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. We had no access to God. We didn't have a covenant like the Jewish people did. He said this, but God has quickened together. He has quickened us together with him. He's made, what's quickened me? He's made us alive. I'm going to get there in just a moment. You've been made alive to God. You know, I know we sing the song, God's Not Dead. Listen, we ought to sing it this way. It's foolish to even think that God could be dead. The reality is, Lee's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. Come on, somebody. Come on now. God was never dead. Jesus died in my stead as a substitute, but now I'm alive to God. Quickened together by the power and the operation of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's good right there. Let's go down. And he said here, he said, you quickened and he's forgiven you all your trespasses. Well, I am forgiven today. That's why the writer said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Glory to God. Amen. Let's go farther. Look what he said I did, happened at the cross. This is so important. We have to catch this because it is directly related to Pentecost. In just a moment, we're going to see. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What was the handwriting of ordinances? That was the law. The law because the law produced condemnation. I'm going to show you in a moment of time to validate this. It was a holy document. You've heard me preach many times. Thank God for the law. Without the law, we would have had no knowledge of sin. But here, though, he's simply saying it was against us because it created for us a recognition that we were sinners. I was reading this morning, just very quickly, about the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. I simply say Sinai. I've taken reproach for that, but I'll just go ahead. That's the way I like to pronounce it, Sinai. Now, I know some of you that are theologians think that you know it, but when you look up in the Hebrew, you'll be surprised. It's very difficult to pronounce, actually. But we'll call it Mount Sinai. And so at that moment, you remember this, Moses is going up on the mountain to stand in the presence of God. But the glory of God had already descended. The glory of God had sat on the mountain. And the people have been told to sanctify themselves for three days prior to not touch the mountain, not approach, but they were to hear and to listen to the, uh, the audible voice of God. The audible voice of God, when the glory of God sat on the mountain, there were thundering and lightnings. When that voice went forth, you know what he spoke? He spoke the Ten Commandments. The Bible plainly records that in Exodus chapter number 20. And the people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire. And they shrank back at the voice of God. And they cried out to Moses and they said, Moses, we want you to be a mediator on our stead. We cannot stand, we cannot handle hearing the voice of God. Whatever he tells you, if you'll tell us, then we're going to do it. And so Moses goes back up on the mountain and he there hears once again the voice of God. He receives the law of commandments. The Bible says was written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. And he also heard other words that he wrote down on parchment. And he also brought that down with him. Or at least he brought that in the knowledge in his heart that he would write later. But notice this. Before he could come back down the mountain with the actual tablets of stone 
in his hand, the people had already broken the law that they had yet to even receive. And so therefore, before there was even a presentation of the law, they were already guilty of breaking the law. And so by that, how many of you know that that can produce condemnation? That's the way we are as sinners. By the time I understand the knowledge of sin, the first realization that I have of it is that I'm guilty. It's not like I was taught the law and then I said, oh, I haven't broke that as of yet. By the time the realization came, I've already sinned. And so, but notice what Paul says here. He said this. He said, God then, through Christ, took it out of the way and he nailed it to his cross. Thank God for the blood of Jesus today. Thank God for the atoning, sacrificial blood of Christ on the cross. We're going somewhere. And he spoiled principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly, and he triumphed over them in it. And so notice this. Let no man, therefore. This is Pentecost Sunday, according to the Jewish calendar. Let no man beguile you, or back it up, excuse me. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Paul here is saying to these Gentile believers that have been grafted into the olive tree, he's saying, I want to warn you because there are going to be those that are going to try to infiltrate your midst, and they're going to try to put upon you an obligation that you may have a difficulty in fulfilling. And he said, so therefore, when they start telling you you need to keep this feast, when they need to start telling you you need to go to this temple, when they start telling you you need to bring this blood sacrifice, or you need to worship on this holy day, he said, don't let anybody beguile you. Don't let anybody judge you. He said, because all of those things were a shadow of things that were yet to come. He said, but the body or the substance is of Christ. How many know you can have a shadow of, that's not you. It's a shadow of you, but it doesn't have substance. Are y'all hearing me today? But the body, he said, he's, Jesus said, or what Paul is saying, all of those feasts, all of those festivals, including the one that we're celebrating today, Pentecost Sunday, was a shadow of the one who was to come, and that was Jesus. And don't let anybody beguile. You say, well, Pastor, why was there such a presence of God in this sanctuary during worship? Because we carried in an expectation in here today. I'm going to tell you what. Today is no different than yesterday. And it's no different than tomorrow if you'll get up with the realization that you've been made alive in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and God is great, and He's greatly to be praised, and He deserves all the glory, the honor, and the worship, and you'll come to this house every Sunday. I don't care whether it's Pentecost Sunday, whether it is Old Folks Sunday, whether it is New People Sunday, whether it is a traditional Sunday or contemporary Sunday. It doesn't matter if you and I will come in here with a realization of the redemptive work of Christ has freed me from the power of sin and death, then I'm telling you there's going to be a power and a presence every time we come together. And I'm going to even go one farther than that. I feel this when I'm not here with you. 
I like worshiping with you, but let me tell you, I don't just get my praise on when Shane gets the chord just right. I don't get my praise on before God when it's a song I like. I get my praise on when I think about that I was lost and I was in sin and there was no peace within, but the Spirit of God, through the power of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, washed away all my sin and now I'm free in Christ Jesus and I have access to God and I can worship God every day of my life and I can give Him the fruit of my lips, that is the sacrifice of praise. I tell you what, that is what causes me to put my praise on to God. And celebrate Him and worship Him. And so Paul is saying here, I believe, in this context, so don't let anybody judge you in those things. Don't let anybody dictate your worship by a particular day or not. He goes on to say, and then don't let anybody beguile you. He said, because, let's read it a little quicker, the 19th verse. He said, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourished together and knit together. If you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. All those things are to perish with the using after the commandments and the doctrines of men. What things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and the neglecting of the body, but they do not in any way help in, the, in, in preventing you from satisfying the desires of the flesh. What is the thing? What is the thing? that Pentecostals ought to know more than anybody that can keep you from falling prey to the weaknesses of your flesh. What is it? It's the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling power. Let me just tell you today. I'm, let's go. I'm going to go one other passage today and I'm, uh, because time won't allow me to really develop it. I'm not finished. I won't be finished. I will pick it back up next week. But let me just go to a passage in just a moment today. I want to remind you today, church family, if you are born again, the supernatural life of God is on the inside of you. Let me tell you, I know there's another work of the Holy Spirit that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but let me say this to you today. Whether or not you speak in tongues or not has nothing to do with whether or not you have the power over the weakness of your flesh and the power over sin that dwells and is contained in your flesh. I want you to know that today. Thank God for the baptism. Thank God for utterances and unctions and anointings and all of those things. But the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is the power inside of you to overcome the desire to sin in the flesh. Let me take a moment of time to take you to a passage here in 2 Corinthians 3. Let's go there for just a moment here today. Can we do that for just a few moments? I just feel led to do this today. And I want, I want to walk this with you for just a moment. You find it there, 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. We'll probably go down through, I don't know, a, through a portion of this text. And I want to just touch it. Maybe the whole chapter, who knows? We'll see. For just to end with this, we won't, I won't go in great detail. I, I know this. But, but I, want to take, I want to take you back to Mount Sinai for just a moment of time, if I can. Lord, let me be led by your Holy Spirit in that moment of time. And just let, let's just, if you can picture that with this, because it is such a critical component. Because that holy document, the law, was given but it ultimately produced condemnation. We've noted this in the past. Let me go ahead and see if I can fulfill that, fill that gap in. Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai, and he has received the law of commandments. Now, in his absence, the people grew um, restless. Now, you have to understand, church family, 
they, they didn't have a copy of the Scriptures. They didn't have anything at that particular time other than the covenant that they had entered into by circumcision. And perhaps they had not even followed that. Many of them probably were even uncircumcised. But, but, but they probably were mostly circumcised. But with this, though, so in Moses' absence, they began to say, you know what? Where's our, where's our God? Our man of God is gone. The God that sat on the mountain is gone. And we're just here in the wilderness. So we need a tangible representation of God. And so they came to Aaron and they said, Aaron, you got to give us something. The people need something. They need to see and feel and touch something. And so he said, break off all your earrings and give me all your earrings. Because they had been in Egypt, I guess, and they had also borrowed the jewels of the Egyptians when they left. And they took this wad of, of Egyptian earrings and gold and they threw it into a fire. And, and it out came with a molten calf, a golden calf, and they erected it on a pedestal, and Aaron the priest turned and pointed to it and said these blasphemous words, these be thy gods, two calves, he said, these be thy gods that brought you out of Egypt. And Moses is on the mountain, He's, he doesn't know anything that's going on. Well then, I'm telling you from there, they got into all types of idolatrous practices. And before the day could go out, they got old pagan music cranked up. They're stripping their clothes off. They're having some type of sexual throwdown right there at the base of the mountain that two, three, four, five weeks earlier, the glory of Almighty God had set on. And Moses then starts his journey down the mountain with the tablets of stone. He meets Joshua who had waited on him. And as they're getting near the camp, Joshua said this. Joshua said these words. He said, I hear the noise of war in the camp. And Moses discerns it and said, that's not the noise of war. He said, but that's frolicking and playing and dancing. And Moses goes down and he discovers what's taking place. And he takes the tablet of stone and he breaks it on the ground. And he burns, he takes that calf and he burns it up, burns up the calf and takes the dust and makes the people to drink it. And then he charges the priest. He said, if you're on God's side, you're talking about militant warfare. If you're on God's side, take your sword and go through the camp and begin to slay people that worship the, the idol. And at the end of the day, the soil was saturated with the blood of 3,000 men who gave their paid for their transgression because there was no mediator. There was nothing that they could do to take away that sin debt of their own sin of idolatry at that moment. Moses is frustrated. He goes back up into the presence of God, and God and him dialogue back together. Y'all ever read this? Man, this is good right here. Don't tell me the Old Testament is not good. It is the word of God. God says, I'll take, God's proven Moses. And his heart. And God says to Moses, he said, he said, leave me alone. I'm going to destroy that people and I'm going to raise up a whole new group of Israelites from your seed. And Moses is like, no, God, you can't do that. He had a shepherd's heart. He begins to intercede. Lord, you can't do that. That will be a reproach to your enemies. And so God relents of the anger that's in his heart. And so Moses is there in the presence of God again for 40 days without bread or water. And he receives the law of commandments again, a fresh one. And the finger of God, the finger of God writes this on the tablet of stone. So it's blank stone chiseled out of the bedrock by Moses. 
but it's now chiseled or scripted, not by Moses. Moses didn't write it. God, can you imagine Moses sitting there watching that? He takes iron and chisels out the plate. He sets it down, comes over and sits back, and all of a sudden, the invisible finger of God, like what the, the king Belshazzar saw in the book of Daniel that wrote on the wall, suddenly begins to write, and Moses is watching in Hebrew words, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other besides me. The first commandment, the second commandment, and he knows it's the finger of God, and it's identical to the word of God that he heard 40 days earlier. And he takes it up, and he goes back down. When he gets back down, Here's something that we're going to note very quickly. He gets back down, and his face is shining with the glory of God. Because he's been in the presence of God. Food was not a necessity for 40 days, but he's not weak. Water was not a necessity in the desert for 40 days, but he's not thirsty. He's in the presence of Almighty God. And when he comes back down, the people see Moses and they see a reflection of the glory of God. Man, that's powerful right there, isn't it? So now let's pick it up and let's remember that. Let's, let's read this. So now Paul is speaking to the Christians at Corinth. And he says, do we begin to commend ourselves or need we as some other epistles of commendation or letters or commendation from you. Notice this. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, you're ministered by us, written not with ink. Paul is now saying that you are a testimony to the grace of God. And God's done something in your heart but he didn't do it by ink. He didn't write on you on the outside. But he said it was the spirit of the living God. And he's written not in tablets of stone, but on the fleshly tablet of your heart. What's he saying right there? You say, Pastor, why is this so important? Because the day of Pentecost was the celebration for the Jewish people of the giving of the law. The law was written on the tablet of stone by the finger of God. But because of Christ's blood on the cross, now God writes His living Word on our heart and changes us into a living epistle and we're written and read among all men. What does that even mean? That means that when God puts His Spirit inside your heart and life, that there's going to be such a radical change inside of you that other unbelievers are going to see the change inside of you. And sometimes you don't have to preach a sermon, teach a Sunday school lesson, or drive a Sunday school a bus route. But you are a witness for Christ because your life and your lifestyle is so radically altered and changed by the glory of God. It's the power of God. So let's go a little bit farther than this. He said, and we trust through Christ... Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything. How many of you know this? But Paul said well, he's made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Because the letter will kill. The law can still produce death. The law cannot deliver you from the sin debt of Adam and your own sin. Cannot do it. 
You will be in a lifestyle of forever misery, of condemnation over and over again if you're trying to produce justification and righteousness through your own human effort. I don't care how pious or religious you are, but when you learn to rest entirely in what Christ accomplished at the cross, what a work of grace in the heart and life of an individual. Come on, that's powerful. Let's go a little bit further. I want you to see this. He said, so this right here, the letter will kill, but the Spirit will give life. But if the ministry of death was written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which was glory, which glory was to be done away with, how shall not the ministry of the Spirit be glorious. My God, I feel that right there. Let me put, I'm going to come down and talk to you. I'll, I'll come down for a few moments and I'm going to close. I'm going to close. I want to put this all together for just a moment if we can. Pentecost is a feast. It's the fourth feast on the Jewish calendar and it celebrates, it celebrates by the priest coming into the temple when the day of Pentecost has fully come with the priests celebrating by raising up two loaves as a wave offering before God. Now, the feasts are important. We know that, correct? Right? The feasts, important things happened on those Jewish feasts. Remember what Paul said? He said they were a shadow, Joe, but the body is of Christ. Let's retrace the, the feast for just a moment. We talked about Passover. Jesus was killed on Passover, right? And then he was buried, Right? As they took all leaven out of their houses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the second in the calendar. And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead on the Feast of first fruits. All that happened in one week, 50 days earlier. The book of the law gave Israel instruction 50 days after Passover, celebrate by raising up two bread, pieces of bread. Why is that? Because... 50 days after that very first Passover, when they were still in Egypt, approximately 50 days is when they arrived at the base of Mount Sinai. Isn't that interesting? Put all that together with me for just a moment of time. And so, every year after that, they would celebrate that they were a distinct people because God had given them the law. God gave Israel the law. How many of you know to be a witness to the Gentile nations. Isn't that what he said? He said, if in the law, he said, I have chosen you as a peculiar people. Right? So that the Gentiles would learn that there's but one true God. God expected the children of Israel to manifest his glory. But they lived in a continual cycle of sin. A sin that they could never shake themselves free from. But Paul had a revelation here that all the motion of every, every feast, every festival, everything that they did was but a shadow of what would happen in Christ. And so in this fourth feast, the Feast of Pentecost, you and I oftentimes are focused almost exclusively on the fact that they spoke with other tongues. And we're missing the heart of it, Randy. That's a powerful thing, that we can speak with other tongues. But the power is in this witness right here, that God now does not write the law on the tablet of stone. Now God writes the word 
on the tablet of your heart. And Israel couldn't keep it, and they continual failed. There was a, a, a lifestyle of continual failure. But now the same spirit that went into the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and found the lifeless corpse of Jesus on that stone, that, that, that cold stone that day and raised him from the dead. And he got up as the resurrected Christ. When you believe in Jesus, that same spirit comes inside you and gives you life, quickens you, makes you alive to God, and now you can serve God without guilt, without condemnation, empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of you. And now the law is not written on a tablet of stone. It's not on a church constitution or a bylaw. It's not anything I can put on the wall and point to and say, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. But now His Holy Spirit. I walk in the Spirit. Right? Because the life of God that's on the inside. I think I had it right a while ago when I said the song ought to be, it's not God's not dead. He's surely alive. It's Lee is not dead. I'm surely alive. Or it's Shane or it's JoJo or it's you. Whoever you are, if you're born again, you're no longer dead in trespasses and sin. But now you're alive to God. And so now, now you're a living epistle written and read among men. You say, well, when I think about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Pastor Brown, I think about the gifts of the Spirit, and I think about prophesying and speaking in other tongues, and sometimes we make that association with those that are in ministry, and you think, Pastor, I'm not a preacher, or I'm not a teacher, but let me tell you, you are a living epistle, written and read among men. If you used to be a drug addict, and now the power of drugs is broken off of you, then you're a living epistle. If you used to be an adulterer, and now you are in relationship with one person and is sanctified by the covenant of marriage, then you are a living epistle. If you used to be a fornicator or an alcoholic, and now you no longer touch those things, and you live a holy life pleasing unto God, you are a living epistle. You're preaching the gospel every day that you get up and go to work, and you don't steal, and you don't cheat, and you don't curse, and you don't tell dirty jokes and you live a life and you love people that the world doesn't love and you give to the poor and you reach out not because you're trying to earn your salvation but because of the life of God's on the inside you are a living epistle written and read among men because of the power of the spirit and in this moment right here look at that text Paul said the ministry of the law was condemnation but it was still glorious isn't that odd he said it was leading to death. 3,000 people died that day. But you remember when the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 men were born into the kingdom of God. And he said, how much more is the ministry of the Spirit more glorious? I mean, Dr. Brassel would say it this way. It's more glorious. Come on, it is. God can change the life of any individual. Pentecost Sunday, we could say it this way, it's just another day for God to do his thing. And you know what tomorrow is? Just another day for God to do his thing through who? Through you, through your life, through your testimony, through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of you. Pastor Brown, you going to ever get to Shatakai Mosi at a later date and time? Yes. Right? I believe in Shatakai Mosi. Come on, I do, don't you? I thank God for the gifts of the Spirit of God, but I think it's wrong 
that we have taken the heart of what truly took place that moment and made it about the gift of the Spirit rather than the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to live a life that's pleasing to God. I want to encourage you today. Paul said in Ephesians 5 and 18, it's all throughout his epistles. He said, do not be drunk with wine. We're in this excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit here today. Thank God for his life, his power, his grace. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. For just a moment of time. That sounds so traditional right there. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. Aaron, I'm going to ask you to join me for a moment. If you